Before we go into today's NFL Blitz, we need to address a story that has affected America this week. I like the NFL, and obviously I really enjoy talking about the NFL, hence the existence of this podcast. But don't confuse that for the complete support of everything that happens in America. America has a lot of fundamental problems that it still hasn't sorted out, and this was brought to the fore once again this week when teenager Carl Rittenhouse was acquitted of two murders that he had committed. Let's make it perfectly clear. Carl Rittenhouse murdered two people in cold blood. His reason was that these two people supported the Black Lives Matter movement. By any other definition in any other country, this would be considered domestic terrorism. And yet, in the trial, the judge didn't allow the prosecution to refer to Rittenhouse's victims as victims, which immediately portrays just how biased the trial was. America has a problem with systemic racism. It fueled the Black Lives Matter movement. That Black Lives Matter movement has now been attacked by neo-Nazis and the police and the judiciary are deciding to support the neo-Nazis. This is a major problem and it needs to be addressed quickly. Until it is, regular people will be in more danger and the justice for those who lost their lives for no reason at the hands of a neo-Nazi will not be delivered. So our thoughts go to the families of Anthony Huber and Joseph Rosenbaum who have seen such a devastating miscarriage of justice. Hello and welcome to the NFL Blitz today as we review week 11 of the NFL season and as mentioned, not been a great week outside of the NFL, but at least the NFL did provide some entertainment over the weekend. And thank the Lord, because we really needed it after what's happened. It was a really good week of the NFL, and of course, the day before, we had quite a few uh, things in college football happen that were quite interesting. I think CJ Stroud is quite good. And I think everyone else thinks that too after after what happened at the weekend. And finally, Dan Mullen's been fired from Florida. That seat was so hot before you could have probably cooked a steak on it to perfection. So I noticed those two things happen in college. That was quite fun. Obviously, I spent most of Saturday watching soccer instead because that's my sort of first love. And then the NFL on Sunday... It was really good, weirdly, on last week's episode, and there's a lot to talk about when, with regards to last week's episode. But on last week's episode, I said, the late fixtures are looking really good, the early fixtures not so much. And in the end, the inverse ended up being true. The early fixtures were fascinating and weird and wild, and the late fixtures were dull, completely dull. Of course, some interesting things happened that were worthy of conversation and are going to be talked about here, but for the most part, it was just a bit, eh, you know. And I should say, speaking of Week 10's episode, you will have noticed partway through a significant like shift in the audio, and that's because the second part of the episode was recorded in a different room to where I normally record these episodes. I decided to record it downstairs because it would be more convenient for me. And what I found out instead, after I'd recorded the entire episode and I started editing, I found that there was 
quite the noticeable echo and I thought that was going to happen at first but I recorded a small part, played it back originally and went, no, there's no echo there at all, it's fine, it must be the microphone, it must be better at dealing with echoes and stuff. But then, when I finished editing it and I played it back on a podcast player after it had been edited and exported, I realised that actually there was a really noticeable echo after all. And so, yeah, sorry about that. You'll also notice, by the way, last week's episode was a bit more off the cuff. I've found more time now to actually do the research I used to do, so the episode should be better too. And, yeah, fingers crossed it'll be better anyway, but if you heard that echo in most, in fact, no, it wasn't most, was it? It was about 30 to 40 minutes of last week's episode, then I apologise. I thought there was not that echo, and it turns out there was. So, we're not going to make the same mistake this week. There might be a time in the future where I sort of have to record down there again, and I'll have that echo back, but this week hopefully won't be one of those weeks. I say this recording this like on Tuesday and I don't know if that's going to be problematic when I come to record anything else later on but fingers crossed anyway. I'm also putting this podcast up at a reasonable time for an NFL review as opposed to on Thursday because obviously we've got Thanksgiving Day games this week and happy Thanksgiving if you live in the United States for Thursday. Hope you enjoy it. I'm thinking of doing a turkey dish myself on Thanksgiving, just to celebrate the occasion. Though the games, which we'll get into later on Thanksgiving, aren't exactly inspiring. So that, that's less great. But anyway, babbled on for long enough about things that aren't NFL games. So let's actually start talking about NFL games and let's go into... The biggest shock of the week. Scott Hansen on NFL Red Zone was calling it the biggest shock maybe of the season. I would disagree with that, but Houston Texans 22, Tennessee Titans 13. Yeah. The Tennessee Titans over the last few weeks have just been a very tad bit weird. Over their last nine games, they've won seven and only lost two. Those wins came against the Colts, the Jaguars, the Bills, the Chiefs, the Colts again, the Rams, and the Saints. Their two losses came to the Jets and the Texans. So, bar Jacksonville, the teams they've beaten are all good sides. I think all of them are above or at 500. And yet... The two sides they've lost to are the two-win Jets and the two-win Texans. No, I can't figure it out either. The NFL has had a problem with making sense over the last few weeks, and that trend has continued here. The game got off to an incredibly slow start, though every time Tennessee touched the ball, they just sort of looked bad to be honest, and didn't really go anywhere. Through the opening first and a bit quarters, the only points in the game were from Kymie Fairbairn, field goals for the Texans. And as the game went on, the Texans started to get stronger and the Titans just continued being bad. And of course, it's at this point we have to probably mention the star of the show for the Houston Texans. That was quarterback Tyrod Taylor, 
not necessarily through his passing. His passing was uh, 69.3 passer rating, only 107 yards on the day. So, if you want to call it bad, that's fair. But to be honest, I don't because they won. But his rushing was absolutely phenomenal. He only had six attempts, but he ran for 28 yards. And, of course, he got the two touchdowns that eventually would give the Texans the win. And the first one was phenomenal. I don't know if you remember the John Alway playing the Super Bowl where he sort of impersonated a helicopter. But it was really like that. It was a seven-yard run on second and goal. He found some open space after trying to pass and ran for the goal line. He was met at the goal line by two Titans and just jumped over them into the end zone, sort of like being hit by one on the way. It wasn't quite like in the same way that our way was, where he was hit full on and like rotated. It was just hit uh, like on his underside as he was going up. And yeah, it was it was a truly remarkable touchdown. And that sort of gave the Texans more sort of impetus and really seemed to drain the Titans, and in the third quarter, he did it again. He added another five-yard rushing touchdown to make it 19-0, and with seven minutes to go in the third, it was looking truly unlikely that the Titans would be able to get back into the game. They did start to show signs of recovery. I thought the turning point of this game was going to be when the Titans converted on, I believe, a fourth and two on the driver, eventually got them a touchdown. It was, in fact, the next play that the Titans scored on. Ryan Tannehill throwing a touchdown pass to Des Fitzpatrick. And Des has a truly interesting story. He was a fourth-round pick in the 2021 draft. And the broadcast pointed out that his route to scoring his first NFL touchdown was quite weird because he was cut in training camp. And it's quite rare that a fourth-round pick is cut by the Titans in training camp, and I assume in most training camps, because, you know, fourth round is a relatively high pick, and they'd kind of be hoping for an impact from him. He was cut, I believe he signed for the practice squad after claiming waivers, and then comes back into the side and scores a touchdown, and the team seemed really happy for him. So, really good for Des to get... That score, shame it comes in a game that everyone who is a fan of the Titans is going to remember really negatively. That touchdown was normal. The next touchdown for the Tennessee Titans really wasn't. Tannehill threw to Hillard and he fumbled just outside of the end zone. I think it was on the one yard line. And then the ball rolled into the end zone and was recovered by Anthony Fersker of the Titans. For that second score, they missed the first extra point, by the way. And by the way, there were a lot of missed extra points this week and missed field goals. It was really weird. Kickers just having one of them off weeks again. And it's, it's like they have, have them collectively. Maybe it helps with negotiations or something. If, if they all fail, then you can't cut one of them for failing because everyone's had a weird week, right? That's my, that's my theory and I'm sticking to it. But yeah, Anthony Ferksker... Recovered in the end zone. They kick the extra point. They go 19-13 down. And at that point, the Texans do enough on offense to drain the clock. Kymie Fairbairn kicks another field goal because he was one of a few kickers this week who didn't. Though actually, sorry, I forgot. 
he also missed an extra point in this game. It was not the windiest game that's ever happened, but both kickers missed extra points. It was just really bizarre. It was on the Tavo Taylor seven-yard run. He missed the extra point. I don't... I don't get it. I don't get it. Don't get why that happened. Apparently... Apparently it wasn't significantly windy. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this report's wrong, but... You know, still. Anyway, that's not the point. They they marched down the field, they drove down well, and they converted a field goal to go up nine points with three minutes to go. The game was pretty much over there, though it did help that Ryan Tannehill threw another interception. And at this point, we have to talk about Ryan Tannehill, because against the 24th-ranked pass defence, he completely failed. 35-52, 323 yards, one touchdown, four interceptions, a pass rating of 58.4, and the three that I can remember off the top of my head were all on him. He he played poorly, and it really does make you worry because, of course, Derrick Henry's not coming back this year, and kind of like Darnold with McCaffrey, it seems like Tannehill does overly depend on him. I was really optimistic when... Henry went out with an injury. I thought, you know, they, they're going to have to lean on Tannehill more, but he'll be able to cope with it. And last week, that seemed to be the case. But this week, he comes up against a bad side, and he just flounders completely. Maybe, oh, by the way, he fumbled twice as well. I don't know if either of them were actually, you know, turnovers for the Texans, but he did fumble twice. And I, I don't know what to make of this, because... He had a bad game, but then again, so did the rest of the Titans. They just seem to struggle when they play bad sides. It should be great when they're in the playoffs, because bad sides tend to not get there. So they'll be fine then. But for the most part, the whole team struggled. Maybe, maybe Tannehill's one of the main faults. Maybe he caused other players to underperform. But it's really just a weird trend that the Titans are setting this year because they've played well against much better sides and Tannehill's played well against much better sides but they just can't do it against weaker opposition and it makes no sense whatsoever. Congratulations to the Texans though, they've won their second game of the season, obviously they beat the Jacksonville Jaguars in week one, not won since then and managed to win a game against a really tough side. By the way, Total yards on the game for the Texans, 190 compared to the Titans, 317. So, make of that what you will. Of course, the thing that killed Tennessee, they lost the turnover battle 5-0. And Tyler Taylor turned into a running god. That also helped. But, just a really, truly bizarre game, which is fitting for the last few weeks in the NFL, which have all been really, truly bizarre. The Houston Texans are 2-8, and eight, therefore, from the AFC South. The Tennessee Titans are 8-3, and three, their first in the AFC South. Indianapolis Colts, 41. Buffalo Bills, 15. And, of course, the first thing to mention, the far most important thing that happened in this game. Scurry Gummy! First time that score's ever happened in the NFL. Honestly, there's nothing else to talk about. The Indianapolis Colts are six. Oh, apparently Jonathan Taylor did something. The Indianapolis Colts are six. Of, okay, we're going to talk about Jonathan Taylor because this really was his game and his world. Five touchdowns 
for Jonathan Taylor. Four of them on the ground, one of them as a reception, according to this website. I thought they were all rushing, but then again, they all just sort of blurred together after a while because there were too many of them to keep up with. 185 yards on the ground, 32 attempts, and 19 yards off three receptions. An incredible game, an absolutely incredible game. Field Yates on Twitter. Colts running back Jonathan Taylor becomes the first player to surpass 1,000 rushing yards this season. He's just the 11th player in NFL history with at least 1,000 rushing yards and 10 rushing touchdowns in each of his first two seasons. He has been phenomenal for the Indianapolis Colts for the most part. He's had quite a few down games. Like It feels like to me as a person who admittedly doesn't watch the Colts often, it feels to me like when he goes cold, he really goes cold. But when he's hot, he's truly on fire. And, and this was obviously one of those games where he was absolutely phenomenal. He has been putting his name up there with some truly good running backs. NFL 345 on Twitter. Jonathan Taylor finished today with 204 scrimmage yards and five total touchdowns. He is the third player under the age of 23 to score five touchdowns in a single game in NFL history. NFL research on Twitter Jonathan Taylor has already surpassed 100 scrimmage yards today at Buffalo. This was earlier on in the day. Taylor has now tied the NFL record for most consecutive games with 100-plus scrimmage yards and one-plus rushing touchdown within a single season since 1950 at 8, set by Hall of Fame Ladanian Tomlinson in his 2006 MVP season. Taylor has taken his game to another level this season. He has been phenomenal. He is, for me, the reason, not the main reason, the reason the Colts have a winning record. If it wasn't for him, if you substituted him out with a run-of-the-mill running back, then the Colts would be doing way, way, way worse because Carson Wentz did not have a good game. He threw for 106 yards, had a pass rate of 86.7, which, to be honest, not only because they won and put up 41 points, but also because of how the game sort of transpired. It's not even worrying, because when you've got a running back who is absolutely unstoppable, why would you want to throw the ball more times anyway? And it's not like, you know, 106 yards off 20 attempts. It's not like Baker Mayfield against the Patriots last week where he could only throw like two yards ahead of him. So, yeah, I'm not worried about how Carson Wentz played in this game, and I honestly don't think it matters. He did throw a touchdown, and of course it was to Jonathan Taylor, so there's always that. And he did actually have a better game than Josh Allen did. We'll come back to Allen later on, but this game, I mentioned that he's set a, or tied a record that only Ladanian Tomlinson has the 100 scrimmage yards and one touchdown in consecutive games. There are now calls that Jonathan Taylor should be NFL MVP. And I I haven't quite fleshed out my thoughts as to whether he is really a contender for MVP. There is going to be an article going up on the sports plates. It will be up by the time this podcast has been uploaded. I just haven't started writing it yet. And I'm still trying to work through whether he should actually be MVP. It's an interesting conversation. It's not one of them that you can instantaneously disqualify. It's not like somebody saying, oh, Zach Moss should be NFL MVP, where you'd go, well, clearly he shouldn't be. Or Mitch Trubisky. He's got a better award anyway. He was MVP. 
And I mean, who doesn't want that? He's the only person to ever win it. <laughs> Not for long, but you know. It's, it's so much better. He came on late on in this game when it was over and threw an interception. So, you know, old times. Very nice to see. Made me all nostalgic. Josh Allen, though, almost as good as Mitch Trubisky, some might say. He didn't have a good game here. 21 for 35, 209 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, a pass rating of 72.2. And the whole Buffalo Bills offense just didn't get going. I don't know if you can tell that by the fact they only put 15 points against the Colts. But there you go, just in case you needed to know. By the way, just out of interest... The Indianapolis Colts currently ranked 28th in defence. Behind the Texans. You know, the Texans. Who did beat the Titans. But, yeah. The, the Colts defence has not been strong this year. And yet, they completely shut out the Buffalo Bills. And maybe it's because, you know... With a ground game, you can really drain the clock, and Buffalo only had 22 minutes of possession in this game, but still, I don't think that explains why Buffalo offensively were so bad. Turnovers does. They had four turnovers in this game, two of which were Josh Allen interceptions, one of which was a Trubisky interception, and the other one was a fumble, but still, Buffalo's offense just could not get going. They could not do anything against the Indianapolis Colts, and granted, even if they could, they probably would have lost anyway, because Jonathan Taylor just had a game for the ages, and it's worth mentioning that Jonathan Taylor's game for the ages came against the best defense in the NFL, like they are top of every major statistical category, and Jonathan Taylor just went, I don't care, and completely destroyed their hopes and dreams. So, yeah, again, really impressive performance from Jonathan Taylor. Not so much from the Buffalo Bills. Indianapolis are genuinely within playoff contention at this point now. They're just outside the playoff picture looking in at the moment. But, who knows? Jonathan Taylor might be able to single-handedly, and it pretty much would be single-handedly, take them to the playoffs. Quinton Nelson went down with an injury in this game. I don't know what the update is. You probably will by the time this podcast has been uploaded. But fingers crossed for him because if he goes down, the Colts are going to have a significantly harder season going forward. The Indianapolis Colts are 6-5, their second in the AFC South. The Buffalo Bills are 6-4, their second in the AFC East. And we'll get on to who's first later on, but it's not a surprise anymore. By the way, it is worth mentioning before we move on that... A couple of weeks ago, when the Colts lost to the Titans, we sort of all viewed that as the race for the FC South over. But with Tennessee being able to lose to Houston of all teams, and obviously not having Derrick Henry, and with Jonathan Taylor coming into his own with the Colts, maybe that division race is back open again. But they're only two games behind at the moment. You never know. Green Bay Packers 31, Minnesota Vikings 34. The battle of the two quarterbacks who have interesting opinions about vaccinations and other such stuff. And it was truly a battle of those two quarterbacks as well because both of them put on a really good show. Aaron Rodgers 22 for 33, 385 yards, four touchdowns, pass rate of 148.4. Kirk Cousins not too far behind, 24 for 35, 341 yards, 
three touchdowns, a pass rating of 128.4. But Kurt got the win, so I'm sure he won't be bothered about losing out to Aaron Rodgers in the quarterback battle. The, the star of this game, for me, more than anyone else, was, of course, Justin Jefferson. And I don't just say that because he's in my fantasy side, along with Jonathan Taylor. I dominated this week. I had such a good week. Justin Herbert's in my side, nearly. Picked Patrick Holmes instead. That would have been a, a fatal mistake. By the way, it's a very small league, hence why I can have such a better collection of talent. But him, Jefferson, Taylor, wonderful my only problem this week was that I forgot to make necessary changes before the first night football and I left Kyle Pitts in and I shouldn't have. I knew, I, I didn't want to, but I forgot. I only realised at about 2 o'clock in the morning, I was like, oh, fantasy. And, yeah, so the Kyle Pitts thing being in, that, that annoyed me, but apart from that, the week went wonderfully. So, yeah, Justin Jefferson anyway. Eight receptions, 169 yards, two touchdowns. And quite weird, actually, because he had a first quarter where he was targeted three times, made three catches, and got 104 yards receiving. By the time the end of the first half came... He still only had three targets, three catches, 104 yards receiving. So, in the first quarter, throwing to Jefferson had worked so well that Kirk Cousins decided to just not bother in the second. I mean, in all fairness, in, you know, I watched Red Zone, so I didn't, like, see the game per se. But maybe they were absolutely double, triple, quadruple, actually just put the entire defense on him, teaming him. And uh, and maybe he found it harder to, to get away. Adam Phelan did step up as well. He had 82 yards receiving. And when the air game didn't work, unlike, well, actually the Packers did do reasonably well running the ball, but Darwin Cook also had a good game, 86 yards running. The big problem for the Vikings, at least for the first three quarters when I saw this tweet, uh, Next Gen Stats and ESPN saying that the block, pass block win rate for the first three quarters, Packers 75% and Vikings 33%. You should have a better pass block win rate than 33%. That's, that's bad. That's very, very bad. And that was really though, the only problem that the Vikings had all game. They did look like they were on their way to a collapse. They were up 23-10 midway through the third quarter and let the Packers entirely get back into the game and lead 24-23 at one point. The end of the game was truly, truly fascinating because after the, the Packers took the lead with just under eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter, the Vikings went on a long drive Ending in Kirk Cousins finding Justin Jefferson for a touchdown. That obviously put the Vikings up 31-24. They give the ball back to Aaron Rodgers just before the two-minute warning. And immediately, with one play, throw to Marquez Valdez-Scandling for a touchdown. 75 yards. And the two-minute warning hadn't even hit. And it was once again 31-all. Kirk Cousins nearly threw the game away. On the Minnesota 30, trying to find Justin Jefferson, he was picked off by Darnell Savage. It looked like that was going to put the Green Bay Packers in ideal territory to kick a field goal, but then the flags came out correctly, by the way, in this game. We'll talk about 
incorrect flags later when it comes to Kansas. I'm not going to point at you because remember, pointing is the worst thing anyone can do. I believe roughing the passer because there was quite a big hit on Cousins as he was releasing. It might have been a face mask as well because you can see his neck being sort of forced back as well. It was absolutely the correct decision. And that gave the Vikings new life, new impetus. They slowly marched down the field. There was a big completion at one point in that drive. Really consequential one to Adam Thielen for about 26 yards. I can't remember who was defending him, but he really should have intercepted it. It's almost like he overran the ball or something. He's just completely missed on the potential interception. Gave it to Thielen. Uh, Thielen ran up the sideline. That got them to the 19-yard line. And after that, it was just the... Matter of running the clock down, which they did successfully. Got it down to two seconds to go. Greg Joseph kicks the game-winning field goal. The, the last few minutes of the Packers-Vikings game were among the best in the NFL this season. They were absolutely fantastic. And, yeah, it ended up being a really good game. I said this game would be close and feisty and interesting. And it proved to be all three. So, good for me for finally getting a preview correct. I also said that the late window was going to be fun. We'll go on to the late window later because it was not fun. My sports update on Twitter. Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers told reporters that his toe injury is a little worse than having turf toe. Says it's very, very painful and it got even worse after someone stepped on it during the first half. He still hasn't said how or when the injury happened. We forgot to mention this last week. Aaron Rodgers, as mentioned there, sort of has come down with a toe injury, a case of like severe turf toe. And he hasn't said... What caused it? He's been asked multiple times to clarify what caused this injury. And he just says, I'm not telling you. And it's one of those where it's it's truly bizarre because one of the main reporters in Green Bay asked him, just refuse. Pat McAfee on his show asked him four times what caused it. No, not saying. No, I'm not, I'm not telling you. And it just leads your brain to run wild with speculation as to what it could be. My theory, and it is a theory, is that it's either something truly humiliating. There was that guy in the 2006 World Series who was ruled out because he'd been playing too much Guitar Hero. It'll be something like that. There was a guy, there was a footballer who got injured. Uh, I mean, association footballer who got injured by falling out of bed once. It'll be something like that. Or, of course, the other theory is that it could be breach of contract. And he's done something that his contract says you absolutely cannot do this because you might get injured and would get into trouble with the Packers. And that's why he doesn't want to say. But either way, it's just truly weird. If he just came up with a nonsense reason, if he just made something up on the spot, this wouldn't be a story. And yet, his complete refusal to say anything has, has really made it a story. And we know how much Aaron Rodgers likes to just make stuff up. So... Yeah, truly, truly strange story. Just say anything, honestly. It's clearly, like I say, I, I, for me, it's either really humiliating or a breach of contract. Either way. The Green Bay Packers are 8-3. They're first in the NFC North. The Minnesota Vikings are 5-5. Five five. They're second in the NFC North. Pittsburgh Steelers, 37. Los Angeles Chargers, 41. The Sunday Night Football... And in the end, I'm actually quite sad I couldn't watch it. I haven't watched it yet. I am planning to watch the 14-minute highlights when I can. NFL Game Pass has been weird this year. I don't know if it's just me. I'm on the essential plan. And, like, the 40-minute recaps don't come out until, like, 
either late Tuesday or Wednesday. I haven't checked if I can watch them yet, but I just I find it a bit weird. So the one notable thing I saw before going to bed was the fourth and two. And the fourth and two needs a lot of discussion. Well, not that much discussion because it will just make me sad. But 7-3 to the Chargers. The Steelers marching down the field quite slowly. They get... Down all the way to the two-yard line on second and goal. Najee Havis tries to run, doesn't work. Then third and goal on the two. Again, Ben Roethlisberger, incomplete pass. So it gets to fourth and two. Fourth and two. And the Steelers, with their infinite wisdom, throw it short of the goal line. Uh, Aditi Kinkambala from the NFL Network. So, to recap, Chargers are last in the NFL in run defence. The Steelers have a third and goal from the LA2 and throw. Then on fourth and goal from the two, they throw again. It didn't work, and a 12th play, 73-yard, 6-minute, 33 drive, ends at the two-yard line. And that, yeah, I know that Najee Havis had been stopped on second goal for no game, but I don't understand... First of all, why you'd want to throw it in the first place. Second of all, why you'd throw it short of the goal line, which somehow is even worse. Because it means that once you throw it to the line of scrimmage, which is where Freem you've collected the ball, you've still got to run anyway. It truly was beyond me. It was a really, really bad decision. And of course, as much as I don't want to complain, and I'm going to talk about the positives for Steelers later on, as much as I don't want to complain, that would have been seven points. The Steelers lost by four. And of course, if they'd kicked a field goal, then who knows how this game is different. Who knows how this game is played differently. Obviously, that wouldn't have been enough to bridge a four-point gap. But you never know how the game pans out in, in another way. Of course, the one advantage for me is I did start Justin Herbert in this game. In my fancy side. And he, he paid me back. At least, so I've got that going for me. 30 for 41, 382 yards, three touchdowns, one interception, a pass rate of 116.1. So he played, he played really well. Austin Eckler, not so much though. He did get two touchdowns, so I assume that he's also done really well. I haven't actually looked. By the way, I should have said on the fancy point front, Jonathan Taylor got, a, I think, 53.4 points. That is incredible. That's, that might be the best performance any player's had this season. Just absolutely brilliant. Anyway, back to the Steelers' charges. The Chargers played really well. Granted, the Steelers' defence is a bit depleted at the moment, and by a bit depleted, I mean very depleted. Still 533 yards, 41 points. There's not really much to complain about from a Chargers' perspective, I guess. Depending on your view on the Steelers' offense, the Chargers' defense have seemingly been going backwards over the last few weeks. They they were at one point a top 10 NFL defense. They've now slipped back to middle of the field and they're now 16th. So maybe that's something you want to correct. Ben Roethlisberger, funnily enough, played better than Mason Rudolph has. 28 for 44, 273 yards, three touchdowns, a pass rate of 103.7. So, you know... It's nice to actually have somebody who can 
throw the ball. And Deontay Johnson kind of made up for his awful game last week. Seven receptions, 101 yards. And one of the better touchdowns of the night for the Steelers was that sort of really nice floated ball to the back of the end zone for Deontay Johnson. It was a good route, good catch, good throw. Everything worked well on that play for the Steelers. I don't know what you make of this as a Chargers fan. And I know I'm a light Chargers fan, but I'm actually a Steelers fan. And, you know, it's a win. A win is always good. And it keeps them alive in the AFC West division battle. Kansas going on a bye next week. Both sides have lost four games. If the Chargers win next week, then they go to 7-4 and four alongside the Chiefs. And they will take control of the division, obviously, because they beat Kansas earlier on in the season. So... There are plenty of reasons to be optimistic for the Chargers. I guess how you view this win depends on how you view the Steelers. For me as a Steelers fan, this was encouraging. I'll be honest, I, I have no problem with this. The Chargers are a really good side and the Steelers kept up with them. A depleted defence is always going to struggle against a really good offence and, and that happened. With all the injuries the Steelers have, the Chargers putting up 41 points is neither surprising or bad. The Steelers, against a middle-of-the-road defence, put up 37 points. That's not exactly bad. Ben Roethlisberger came back and played really well. And, yeah, after last week, I think that's probably amongst... After last week, that's probably amongst the most negative reactions I've had to, to a Steelers game. And this week... Doing well against a good side, it's hard to complain. It's hard to complain, even though the outcome was technically worse. Well, it was worse. It was a loss as opposed to a tie. You know, it, it's hard to complain about that. But I'm, I'm pretty happy with where the Steelers are at the moment. If those players can come back from injury, and I'll be honest, I haven't checked the injury report in a while because it makes me sad. And I, I'm not going to go on my way to make myself sad. <laughs> I, I hope if them players can come back, the Steelers can reboot their season and maybe challenge for a playoff spot. Who knows? The Pittsburgh Steelers are 5-4 and 1. They're third in the AFC North. The Los Angeles Chargers are 6-4. They're second in the AFC West. Baltimore Ravens 16. Chicago Bears 13. And wow. Okay, the Bears were so close to getting a, a big win for them against the Baltimore Ravens and of course they were given the gift of all gifts before the start of the game because it turned out just before the game started Lamar Jackson had been ruled inactive and that meant Tyler Huntley was starting at quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. The Bears nearly took advantage of that. They started off struggling but they came back in the second quarter, actually thanks to Andy Dalton, Justin Fields was knocked out of the game midway through the third. Andy Dalton came in and he played really well, throwing a 60-yard touchdown pass to Darnell Mooney. And then throwing a 49-yard pass to Marquise Goodwin right towards the end of the game to turn it from a 9-7 deficit to a 13-9 lead. And if you're wondering, by the way, no, this wasn't a missed PAT. Chicago went for two to try and go up six points 
and they failed on that, so they were up four instead. With 1.41 to go, therefore, with the Ravens having struggled all game, it looked like the Bears were going to get a big win, and that would have moved them to four and six, so they would have still been miles out of the playoff race, but it would have been something, and it would have been better than three and seven. But then, after struggling all game, and he did struggle all game, Tyler Huntley only finished with a passer rating of 76. Despite that struggling, the Ravens moved the ball down the field incredibly quickly. They got the ball back with just under 1 minute 41 seconds remaining. That's when the Bears scored. And they executed a 5-play, 72-yard drive in around 1 minute 20 to score a touchdown and take the lead. And it's worth pointing out that the final play of that drive was Devonta Freeman running in from 3 yards out, which means that before that, the Ravens had taken four plays alone to go 69 yards. It was an absolutely incredible final drive. Tyler Huntley, in particular, deserves a lot of credit for executing that because he only found out he was going to be the starting quarterback on the morning of the game. And despite sharing reps with Lamar Jackson during the week, that must have been a big shock to him. And he pulled through in the end to pull out a really good victory. And by the way, he just seems like a really likeable guy. In the post-game interview with Stacey Dales, Dales asked, who's your first phone call going to be? And he responded, quote, oh, my mama and my daddy, you know it, unquote. Stacey Dales then asked, what are you going to tell them? And he responded by saying, quote, thank you for getting me here, unquote. So he seems like a really, really nice guy. Congratulations to Tyler Huntley for his first victory as a starting quarterback in the NFL. The Bears, however, the Bears really struggled. And maybe this is a sign that the Ravens' defence is actually going to come back this year and start playing like they did last year. Last year, the Ravens had incredible numbers on defence. This year, not so much. But the Bears really, truly struggled against them. Justin Fields didn't have the majority of the reps in the end, but he only had a pass rating of 62.3. Andy Dalton actually outplayed him, a pass rating of 107.3. And, of course, we mentioned those two touchdowns that Dalton threw as well. The Bears really just struggled to turn offense into points and to be honest if Dalton doesn't come into this game I don't know if they put up a point for the entire game to be honest because they just looked so uninspiring going forward it just didn't nothing works out for them and this failure to execute against a backup quarterback and this failure to get Justin Fields playing better and just failure to stop a backup quarterback on a short final drive, which they should have been doing way better on, but the defending on that drive did border on a joke, despite how good Huntley was, has been not taken too well by Chicago fans. They were loudly chanting fire Nagy at the end of the game. And to be honest, I don't blame them. It's not got better this year. They're three and seven. They're not looking like a strong side. Bearing in mind, this is a, a side a few years ago, who were, in in fact, last year were in the playoffs with an 8-8 eight eight record. And they have Mitch Trubisky at quarterback. It's hard to explain why it's gone so wrong this year outside of bad coaching. And so, 
I think Nagy gets until the end of the season at the very least. If they turn this around, who knows, maybe they reconsider because he's working with a rookie quarterback and if field shows evident progress through these final few weeks of the season, maybe they change their minds and, and decide to keep him. But I don't know if it gets better with Nagy in charge of the Chicago Bears. I don't know if he can execute a turnaround in Chicago. And... So, Bears fans clearly want to change, and I can understand why they want that change for the Ravens. I mean, taking out the final drive, it was an inspiring performance, but when you've got your backup quarterback in, and your normal quarterback is Lamar Jackson, then it's kind of understandable. So, I'm sure that John Harbaugh will have very few complaints. The Baltimore Ravens are 7-3, and three, their first in the AFC North. The Chicago Bears are 3-7, their third in the NFC North. This is the part of the show where we get to speed up proceedings, starting with Arizona Cardinals 23, Seattle Seahawks 13. And, good God, was the Seahawks' performance just so underwhelming. Once again, the Arizona Cardinals had to start Colt McCoy at quarterback. Kyle Murray not ready to come back for this game. So my preview last week was false in the end. But it didn't matter. Colt McCoy had a game for the ages against that Seattle defense. 35 for 44, 328 yards, two touchdowns, a pass rating of 112.9. He absolutely balled out against the Seattle Seahawks. And it is understandable Seattle do have one of the worst passing defences in the NFL. But still, you kind of expect more from them considering that Arizona was start of their backup quarterback. James Conner once again had a really good game. Another touchdown in this game as well means he's now on 12 touchdowns of the year, which matches his personal best Got 12 for the Pittsburgh Steelers back in the 2018 season. And that year, he did make the Pro Bowl as a result. James Conner's been absolutely incredible for the Arizona Cardinals. As a Steelers fan, I wish him well. And yeah, he's he's filled a hole that they really needed to fill. He's obviously not like the absolute focus of our offense uh, or even like a privatized running back. He was in this game, but we've also got Chase Edmonds, who I believe was out and he's just able to slot into that role that the Cardinals have for him perfectly well. So for the Cardinals, there really is absolutely nothing to complain about. Obviously, there's not. Arizona currently have the eighth best passing defense in the NFL. They were able to completely shut down Russell Wilson, a pass rating of 80.1. The offense with Colt McCoy was able to execute quite well and remember as well that Colt McCoy was the starting quarterback for the Giants last year when they beat the Seahawks in Seattle as well so Colt McCoy just clearly knows how to beat Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson and speaking of this game for me really puts scrutiny on Pete Carroll as the head coach of Seattle Seahawks I I don't know if he's going to be the head coach of the Seahawks next year because they're three and seven now. They have known nothing but well not success but consistency and consistently good sides under Pete Carroll and it's it's all sort of fallen apart this year. Obviously the start of season or before the season I should say we had the Russell Wilson wants a trade controversy. I think he's gone at the end of the year. I don't see how Russell Wilson will want to stay around for 
what Seattle's going to be in the future. And also, I don't see Seattle valuing him over a rebuild and loads of draft picks because they would get loads of draft picks for Wilson at the moment. He's still clearly a very good quarterback and they need those picks to help rebuild the side. I don't know if the Seahawks would sack Pete Carroll. I don't think they would. I think they would try and usher him into a dignified retirement. But it's not been looking good. I don't, I just, I don't see him there next year. And I know they've had injuries and problems, but the, the main problem at Seattle is just how beyond terrible their recruitment has been over at least the last eight years. And Pete Carroll has been there leading recruiting for all of that time. They had all of those good players when they won the Super Bowl, but they've never been able to replace them. Their first few drafts were really good with Pete Carroll, and after that, it's all gone to pot, and that's the main problem. That is the main problem with the Seattle Seahawks. It's probably time to start a new era. They're 3-7. and seven. They could still make the playoffs, and with Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, you know, everyone's going to say, well, you don't rule out this Seahawks side, but it's very, very unlikely that they do anything now this season. The Arizona Cardinals are 9-2, they're first in the NFC West. The Seattle Seahawks are 3-7, they're fourth in the NFC West. Did I say speed up, by the way? Because what I meant it was go at the exact same pace. Anyway, I will try and speed it up now because we've still got the majority of games left. Dallas Cowboys 9, Kansas City Chiefs 19. While the Chiefs do look better now, obviously they've sort of started to improve over the last few weeks. They beat Las Vegas quite comfortably last time out. And this was a real litmus test for them. If they could beat the Cowboys and beat them comfortably, then it would be seen that they were back. That's exactly what happened. And even though the offense still didn't look particularly fantastic, they only, of course, put up 19 points. Um, Patrick Mahomes didn't look good again, 71.9 passer rating. Despite the fact their offense wasn't great, their defense, which has been a real weakness of theirs over the season has finally started to step up. They kept the Cowboys out of the end zone. They looked dominant. Dak Prescott was really flustered for most of the game. He couldn't really get anything going. And whilst Mahomes had a bad day, Prescott had a worse day, 57.9 passer rating. They kept Ezekiel Elliott in check. He looked more like himself from the start of the season and from last season. Tony Pollard did get a 31-yard run. That's all that can be said for the rush game, really. It was a really bad game to watch just because, you know, this was not a game for your offense-minded fans, but it was a significant win for the Chiefs. It shows that their defense is improving because they're able to keep that Cowboys offense quiet. It gives some optimism for the future because if your biggest problem is uh, we just need to make Mahomes play better... That's not a bad problem to have because he can be a world beater. I think he's made that pretty clear already. Let's just get one thing out of the way before we move on. The taunting calls in this game were ridiculous. They were absolutely dreadful. Pointing is not offensive. It's not like... Like, I get the whole... And um, When the taunting penalties came in, I said, yeah, it's good because I don't like the real in-your-face stuff. But pointing at someone from about 10 metres away is not that. That's not taunting. Troy Aikman agreed on the broadcast. What? Troy, no, buddy, don't don't be stupid. I don't care who's paying you, your wages. Don't say things that are just that dumb. And 
it's so unbelievably frustrating. I think my frustration can be best sort of shown through Mike Renner's tweet on Twitter, obviously. My son just saw that Clyde Edwards Hilaire point and now he's addicted to drugs. Set a better example, NFL. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if that's like what they're concerned about. Just like, oh, if 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 NFL players are pointing, then children might start pointing too, and we can't have that. It'll be the destruction of society. There was another one as well. It was pointed where taunting was given because somebody pointed. It's truly, it is getting beyond a joke at this point. The fact the NFL seem to want to stand behind it is further proof to me that they just want to be wrong. We wake up going, how wrong can we be today? They are mastering it, though. Well done to them on constantly finding ways to be wrong. <sighs> pointing, man. Bloody pointing. The Dallas Cowboys are 7-3. They're first in the NFC East. The Kansas City Chiefs are 7-4. They're first in the AFC West. Washington 27, Carolina Panthers 21. The grand return of Cam Newton to Bank of America Stadium. And, of course, quite fittingly taking on Ron Rivera, his former head coach, who now obviously leads Washington. And it was an impressive win for Washington, considering their offensive difficulties over the last few weeks. They've mastered being offensive before, but then they dropped that name. Sorry, last week I mentioned the fact I've been reading the league, and of course, a lot of that book talks about George Preston Marshall, the owner of Washington back in the day, and how he was... Not a nice person when it came to race relations. But that's not what this is about. Washington, who have struggled on offense, went up against a good Carolina defense and did play really well against them, particularly, of course, Taylor Heineke. Heineke! Who did have an incredible game. 16 for 22, 206 yards, three touchdowns, a passer rating of 141.3. That's no mean feat. Against the Carolina Panthers, Antonio Gibson, by the way, really contributed with 95 yards on the ground. And Heineke made some really impressive throws in this game, particularly that one on fourth down where he desperately ran around and he bought some time and then threw it desperately to one of the players. I can't remember who caught it in the end, but it was an absolutely fantastic throw. And we talked about when Washington played Green Bay that... Heineke grew up idolising Favre and that he has the number four because of Brett Favre and that was an absolute typical Brett Favre style throw so it really was emulating his idol. Over the last two games by the way Heineke's stats read 42 for 54, 452 yards, 44 rushing yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. He has improved significantly and you can see that potential there in him but he flashed obviously during the wildcard game against Tampa last year as well. He has been playing really well, credit to him. For the Panthers, obviously not great for Cam in his first game back with Carolina. NFL research on Twitter, in his first game in Carolina in over 800 days, Cam Newton became the first player in NFL history to have a passing touchdown against his former head coach, who he won MVP and Rookie of the Year under, which obviously was from Rivera. And he he did actually have a really good game as well. 21 for 27, 189 yards, two touchdowns, a pass rate of 120.5. Cam just works better in Carolina. Cam fits that team like a glove. And it, it is really nice to see him back. I wonder what happens when Darnold comes back from injury. But that's not a problem to consider now. 
And neither is the performance of Christian McCaffrey, who did actually... He only touched the ball 10 times. I don't know if he's on a snap count or something after his, his latest injury. But 10, 10 attempts, 59 yards. Will Bryan on Twitter with that touchdown catch, because he got a touchdown in this game. Christian McCaffrey becomes the fastest player to reach 3,000 receiving yards and 3,000 rushing yards in NFL history. It took him just 57 career games. McCaffrey's a wonderful talent once. He's back to full health. And if Cam Newton can continue performing with that defence as well, the Panthers could be a really good side. But it wasn't meant to be this week. The Washington football team are 4-6, and six, their third in the NFC East. The Carolina Panthers are 5-6, and six, their third in the NFC South. New Orleans Saints 29, Philadelphia Eagles 40. Not as close as that score would suggest. This really was an all-time rushing performance by the Philadelphia Eagles. They rushed for a combined 242 yards. They passed for 138. Rushed for 242. Quarterback Jalen Hurts really added to that run game. 69 rushing yards, three touchdowns. On the ground, none through the air. Three touchdowns on the ground, though. Mal Sanders also got 94 rushing yards. Jordan Howard, 63. Boston Scott, 16. And, yeah, a really great rushing performance by the Philadelphia Eagles. That is what catapulted them to victory. The Saints still have a backup quarterback. Played like they had a backup quarterback. Let's move on. The New Orleans Saints are 5-5, five five, their second in the NFC South. The Philadelphia Eagles are 5-6, their second in the NFC East. Cincinnati Bengals 32, Las Vegas Raiders 13. I expected this game to be closer. I was really unsure about which way to go uh, during my previews. you remember I just about sided with the Bengals, which ended up being just about the right decision in the end. It's been pretty hard for a NFL defence this season to keep Derek Carr quiet, and yet that is what the Bengals did for the most part, keeping him to a passer rating of 90.8. To be honest, Joe Burrow didn't play significantly better, 92.3 passer rating, but Joe Mixon really was the star of the show for the Cincinnati Bengals. 30 attempts, 123 yards, two touchdowns, and he really did help push them away from the Raiders and honestly that's really the only thing to focus on from this game because it wasn't it wasn't fun it was a relatively close low scoring affair entering the final quarter it was only 13-6 at the time to Cincinnati but the Bengals took off in that final quarter played a lot better and in the end deserved the victory the Cincinnati Bengals are 6-4, they're second in the AFC North. The Las Vegas Raiders are 5-5, five five, they're fourth in the AFC West. New York Jets 17, Miami Dolphins 24-2. Not great sides playing in a close but not very entertaining game. Tua looked back to his best. He had a pass rate of 108.7. It is worth pointing out that that performance comes against... The 31st ranked pass defence in the league. The 31st ranked defence overall as well. So, Tua did play well, but caveat, it didn't come against a very good side. And Miles Gaskin ran quite well, 89 yards off 23 attempts. But again, 
not the best side in the NFL by any metric. And Joe Flacco had a good game for the Jets, 101.5 passer rating, but again, that comes with a caveat. The Dolphins are currently ranked as the worst passing defence in the NFL. They have been improving over the last few weeks, and again, it's not a bad performance. It's 17 points, that's really good. Granted, it was against the New York Jets, and the Jets' offence is led by elite quarterback Joe Flacco. But when you've started a season like Miami did, you probably want to take the positives out of it. And one of the positives was actually how good Jalen Waddle looked for the change. He's really starting to grow into the league, as you would have expected. Matt Collins also played really well. He caught Tua's 65-yard touchdown, which was the longest touchdown Tua has thrown in the NFL. So... It's a second win on the bounce for Miami, and I'm sure that will just be enough for Miami fans to have endured quite a tough season. With the win as well, the Miami Dolphins have now got a winning record total against the New York Jets. Entering the game, they had 155 against the Jets, the Jets had 155 against them, and they'd drawn one. Obviously, now that goes to 56, 55, and 1 for Miami. They now ought to have a winning record against every side in the AFC East. Historically, they're 61-54-1 against the Buffalo Bills and 58-54 and against the New England Patriots. I'm sure that will last forever. <laughs> I bet it won't. Anyway, it's a win for the Dolphins, I'll take it. The Miami Dolphins are 4-7, they're 3rd in the AFC East. The New York Jets are 2-8, they're 4th in the AFC East. New York Giants 10, Tampa Bay Buccaneers 34. This I hand over to New York Giants fan Will. And the Giants lose to the Bucks 30 to 10. Yeah, um, when our one touchdown this game came from an offensive lineman getting the ball, I kind of knew that we weren't going to have a good time. Yeah, I mean, I, I genuinely don't know what... I can say here that I haven't repeated um, just throughout the the season. Honestly, Daniel Jones has really started to uh, fall in my estimation. Earlier in the year, he'd seemed to have really improved and, and, and cut down on a lot of his boneheaded things. He was passing well, you know, not getting the ball into the end zone, but honestly, I blame that more on Jason Garrett's play calling. By the which, the man should be fired. I think Judge has indicated... Uh, in his own particular way, which is to say that he usually says nothing, but he said slightly more than nothing this time. So the assumption is that Jason Garrett's probably out the door soon. But at this point in the season, it genuinely seems like that's more of a uh, save-your-own-skin move. Judge is looking for something to maybe shake up the offense so that he doesn't get fired at the end of the year, which is very possible because the man is, I think, what, like 9-16 and 16 now as a head coach. Uh, saddest thing is this three and six start is actually our best start through nine games in the past five years. Just to give you an estimation of um, how this has been going so far for us, uh, and and where this franchise has been headed, frankly, in the past half decade, we've just been terrible because we've been building our uh, team from the outside in. You know, we've we've not been attempting to to build from the trenches, from the defensive and offensive line outwards. We've been getting nice corners and pieces like Darius Tony, paying Kenny Galladay a lot of money, which I agreed was important in the preseason. But I mean, Lord have mercy, this is this has been depressing. And this game was kind of a, a culmination of every possible bad 
thing that could happen to the Giants and has been happening to the Giants. I really don't know what I can continue to say that I haven't said in previous things. I, I just, I dislike watching this team, and I hope that at some point we blow everything up to start afresh. Yeah, thanks for that, Will, and it is worth pointing out that after his recording of that segment, Jason Garrett was fired from the New York Giants as offensive coordinator. Better late than never, hopefully. As somebody who is optimistic about Daniel Jones's progression this year, I know Will's not so much, but as somebody who is relatively optimistic about Jones's progression, getting a good offensive coordinator in there might actually help him continue to grow and develop Fingers crossed, because God forbid has it been depressing to be a Giants fan over the last few years. The New York Giants are 3-7. They're fourth in the NFC East. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are 7-3. They're first in the NFC South. New England Patriots 25, Atlanta Falcons nil. The Patriots scoring 25 unanswered points against the Falcons. Can't think of any time that's happened before. Oh wait, yes I can. I'm going to leave it there. Mac Jones looks good still. And now the Patriots are top of the AFC East. So, you know, the more things change. The New England Patriots are 7-4. They're first in the AFC East. The Atlanta Falcons are 4-6. They're fourth in the NFC South. Two more games. San Francisco 49ers 30. Jacksonville Jaguars 10. The only real thing to mention from this, the... San Fran opening drive, it was 13 minutes, 20 plays, and it ended in a field goal. Ammon Schatz on Twitter, the 49ers had a 13-minute drive and finished it with a field goal on 4th and 1 from the freaking 2. Good grief, Shanahan. Nick Wagner on Twitter, the 49ers opening drive lasted 13 minutes, 5 seconds. That is the longest drive in the NFL in the last 20 seasons per ESPN Stats and Info. Great. Great, what a way to start a game with, like, the world's most boring drive that only ends in three points anyway. Ugh. The rest of the game was not much better. The San Francisco 49ers just pulled away from the Jaguars, as you would have expected. David Lombardi on Twitter, by the way, talking about Nick Bosa. There it is. Nick Bosa has matched his career high in sacks nine less than ten full games into his post-ACL season. Remarkable. CBS Sports reported the Jaguars coaching staff are at odds over Trevor Lawrence's development and they are expecting changes in the offseason. Trevor Lawrence still having a very rough start to his NFL career would have probably been better if he wasn't playing the 49ers. That wouldn't help with the other games where he didn't play the 49ers. The San Francisco 49ers are 5-5, five five, their third in the NFC West. For Jacksonville Jaguars are 2-8, their third in the AFC South. Final game, Detroit Lions 10, Cleveland Browns 13. Detroit manages to find itself in another boring game that no one will ever want to think about ever again. Baker Mayfield, we started with Baker again. Baker was dreadful once more. 15 for 29, 176 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, both on him, both terrible. Go look them up, they're bad. A pass rating of 53.2. Baker Mayfield's wife once again posted stuff on Twitter, regretted it, deleted it. And just not currently a great place to be, seemingly, around Baker and the Browns. And I, I can't remember if I said this in a podcast or if I planned it to be in the podcast that was cancelled, but I thought it was a massive mistake for Baker to try and play through this injury. And 
it could cost him in the long term because I don't remember many questions about Baker as a quarterback going into this season. There were probably some, but, you know, it wasn't like the future of Baker Mayfield was like this massive topic, and yet he's been trying to play through this injury. It's been going horribly, and it could cost him hundreds of millions of dollars because if the Browns move on, he's not getting a big deal from another NFL side. Probably, almost certainly not. This sort of move to play, try and play through this injury, to be a gamer, it just has not worked out for him in any way, shape or form. It was a really bad decision. Anthony Broom on Twitter, by the way, it is true that Dan Campbell is a good culture guy and leader of men, but his offensive philosophies are dated and now he's doubling down and calling plays. Nothing modern or aggressive about anything he wants to do schematically. The Lions just look like a really bad football side, and I don't think you can put it down entirely to talent. DeAndre Swift had a really good game, 136 yards off 14 attempts. Tim Boyle, for his first NFL start, will let him off the hook, because honestly, it's a miracle that Tim Boyle is even playing in the NFL. Go and look up his story if you want to find out more. I don't see how it gets better for the Lions. Again, just another truly abysmal performance. And you could say, well, they kept the Browns 13 points. The Browns got in their own way, let's be honest. The Detroit Lions are 0-9-1. They're fourth in the NFC North. The Cleveland Browns are 6-5. They're fourth in the AFC North. Okay, let's go into prediction scores then. I won this week with a record of 11-4. Will went second with 10-5 and five, and Josh forgot to do them. So, the overall scores, I'm now still in the lead with 111-53. Will second, 97-67. and 67. Josh third, 78-86. and 86. As for the lock battle, I was correct in locking the New England Patriots against the Atlanta Falcons. Will... For the third week in a row was wrong. He picked the Titans to beat the Texans. So the overall lock record. I'm first 10 and 1. Will second 8 and 3. Josh third 8 and 1. Though of course he's forgotten to do it two weeks. Okay the power rankings then. You can read these at the Sports Blitz website. First place once again are the Arizona Cardinals. Obviously, even with Colt McCoy still at quarterback, they were able to beat the Seattle Seahawks. Second, the Los Angeles Chargers, who had a narrow victory against the Steelers, nearly blew it in the fourth quarter, but didn't. Third, the Los Angeles Rams, who on a bye, but they still go up two places this week because of the Bills and the Titans. Fourth, the New England Patriots. It's been a while since the Patriots were so high in anyone's power rankings, but... Another really impressive result against the Falcons. They moved to top of the AFC East. They're doing what other teams aren't, which is not actually losing in completely humiliating circumstances to sides they should be beating Tennessee. So, yeah, they go into fourth because they're actually competent. Fifth for Buffalo Bills. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor was fantastic. And I, I think if the Bills had had twice as many defenders on the field, they still wouldn't have been able to do anything. So... Obviously not a great defeat for the Buffalo Bills, but, you know, I'm not overly worried about it. Let's go to the other end then. 28 for the Atlanta Falcons. They conceded 25 unanswered points to the Patriots again. It honestly feels like the football gods are trying to bully them at points. 29 for Houston Texans, who actually won a game of football and everything. They get one clap. <laughs> they did beat the Titans, though. That is impressive. 30 for Jacksonville Jaguars, who managed to... Once again, losing completely boring fashion in a way that nobody cares about. 31st for New York Jets. Lost to a slightly resurgent Miami side. And, of course, 
They had to play elite quarterback Joe Flacco, but still not great, obviously. And 32nd, the Detroit Lions, who managed to lose to the Cleveland Browns, only scored 10 points. And a lot of questions now have to be asked about Dan Campbell's play calling. I'm going to go through all games in week 12 of the NFL season. I'll be predicting as I go along. And when I come to one team where I think are guaranteed to win, I'm going to lock that team up. I can only do this once per week. The teams on a bye this week, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Arizona Cardinals. And of course this week, we're going to start with the Thursday Thanksgiving games. And with the opening game of Thanksgiving Day, which is the 5.30 start between the Chicago Bears and the Detroit Lions. Yay. Who's excited for some football? Not me when it's that, I'll be honest. I, I don't see this being a good game, you'll be surprised to hear. Neither side are good at all. Andy Dalton is expected to start for the Chicago Bears at quarterback after that Justin Fields rib injury. I think he's already been declared the starter by Matt Nagy. And I don't know if Jared Goff's going to be back in time to play this game, which means we could have the Andy Dalton-Tim Boyle duel that we've all been looking forward to all season. These teams, by the way, rank 29th and 30th in points scored this season. The Bears have the worst pass game and the Lions have the third worst pass game. And I have no optimism for this being interesting in the slightest. So really it comes down to which quarterback I think is better and I think there's quite a clear answer to that even though... The Bears do not have their starter. The 3-7 and seven Chicago Bears travel to the 0-9-1 Detroit Lions. I'm taking a Bears win. The next game on Thanksgiving, a 9.30 start for the Las Vegas Raiders at the Dallas Cowboys. Now, interestingly, I'm not a betting man, but the game between the Raiders and Cowboys is currently the one with the biggest... I don't know, the, the Cowboys are favoured by 8 points though, which is the biggest of the week that any team is favoured by. And that's quite a surprise for me because the Cowboys are good, yes, but the Raiders are also quite good. Obviously, neither had a good week last week. It's going to be really interesting to see how that really good offence for the Cowboys reacts to what happened last week. They are coming up against a much easier side, especially with the passing game, the... Raiders only rank 20th, so this is a game where they really have a chance to bounce back. Overall, the Raiders' defence ranks 13th, but again, like I said, the pass game is really where you can exploit this Vegas side. For the Raiders themselves, again, another really good pass defence, though they probably want to rely on Josh Jacobs and the rushing game here because the Cowboys are really bad at stopping the run this year. Either way, the Cowboys are heavily favoured, maybe too heavily favoured, but I'm going to go the same way. The 5-5 five five Las Vegas Raiders travel to the 7-3 Dallas Cowboys. I'm taking a Cowboys win. Final game then on Thanksgiving or the day after if you're in the UK. 1.20am start for the Buffalo Bills at the New Orleans Saints. Usually I would just say, yeah, Buffalo are going to win this, but... It's obviously harder this week because of how they coped against the Colts. The Saints should prove to be an easier challenge for them. And for me, really, more than anything else, especially against a bad pass defence that the Saints have, I'm expecting to see a big bounce-back performance from Josh Allen in this game. He needs to 
bounce back after a really dismal showing against the Colts last week. The 6-4 Buffalo Bills travel to the 5-5 five five New Orleans Saints. I'm taking a Bills win. So for the rest of the games, I'm just going to go through them in the order they are on this website. So that means I'm going to start with Pittsburgh Steelers at Cincinnati Bengals. A fight to be the second best side in the AFC North at the moment. The Bengals on a 6-4 record, the Steelers on a 5-4-1 record. The Steelers showed signs of improvement against the Los Angeles Chargers. Rallied well in the fourth quarter but came up just short. I would argue the Bengals aren't as good a side as the Chargers are, but they've still been playing really well for the most part. And of course, really good performance last week, convincing victory against the Las Vegas Raiders. The 5-4-1 Pittsburgh Steelers travelled for 6-4 Cincinnati Bengals. I'm taking a Bengals win, and to be honest, I, I'm fairly, fairly confident in that. I, I don't think it's going to be too close. I'm not very optimistic. Tampa Bay Buccaneers at Indianapolis Colts. A key question for me is whether Jonathan Taylor can continue his fantastic run of form against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mentioned this on the Taylor MVP article, but when Taylor rushes for over 100 yards, the Colts are 6-0. When he doesn't, the Colts are 0-5. Tampa have the 15th ranked rush defense in the NFL, so he could probably do a lot of damage against them. That's where this match will be won or lost for the Colts. Obviously, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're coming up a convincing win against the New York Giants, but this game is going to be harder. Obviously, for the Buccaneers, they're coming off a convincing win against the New York Giants, but one would assume this game is going to be closer. The 7-3 Tampa Bay Buccaneers travel to the 6-5 Indianapolis Colts. I'm taking a Buccaneers win. The 5-6 Carolina Panthers are travelling to the 4-7 Miami Dolphins. Cam Newton looked really good back playing for the Panthers and I think that his offensive explosion combined with McCaffrey and with how good the Panthers defense are I'm going to take a Panthers win the 8-3 and three Tennessee Titans travel to the 7-4 New England Patriots if there's anyone who's going to be able to expose the problems that the Titans have had since losing Derrick Henry it's going to be Bill Belichick I'm taking a Patriots win the 5-6 Philadelphia Eagles travelling to the 3-7 New York Giants. Jason Garrett is gone. I don't think I'll immediately fix their problems. I'm taking an Eagles win. The 4-6 Atlanta Falcons travelling to the 2-8 Jacksonville Jaguars. Wow, what a game, right? Just about taking a Falcons win, though really it could go either way. Both sides aren't great. The 2-8 New York Jets travelling to the 2-8 Houston Texans. Same here. I'm going to just about take a Texans win. I'm really not sure, though. The 6-4 Los Angeles Chargers are travelling to the 5-5 five five Denver Broncos. Strength on strength, weakness on weakness here for me. I'm going to take a Chargers win. The 7-3 Los Angeles Rams travelling to the 8-3 Green Bay Packers. Probably the most interesting game of the weekend. Probably the closest game of the weekend. I really don't know which way to go for the time being. And again, this is one I'm probably likely to flip-flop on. I'm going to take a Packers win. Just about. The 5-5 five five Minnesota Vikings travelling to the 5-5 five five San Francisco 49ers. Again, a really close game. I'm just about going to take a Vikings win. The 6-5 Cleveland Browns travelling to the 7-3 Baltimore Ravens on the Sunday night's football on the grounds that Lamar Jackson starts, I'm locking Ravens. 
This weekend, it, every game is really close and intriguing to me. There's not really a game that stands out as being, you know, a really easy win for one side. It's not like, I don't know, the Texans against the Titans or something like that, where you go, oh, obviously Tennessee is going to win. Honestly, Tennessee's just stopped being useless against really bad sides anyway. There's no game like that this weekend for me where it's it's truly easy to point to one side and go, they're obviously going to win. So I am going to take a Ravens lock over the Browns so long as Lamar Jackson is starting. Final game then, the 3-7 and seven Seattle Seahawks travelling to the 4-6 and six Washington football team. Yay, what a game. Thank God I don't have to watch him taking a Washington win. Anyway, that's all the time we have on the NFL Blitz this week. Thank you for listening, and my thanks go to Will for submitting that piece about the New York Giants. Obviously, we've mentioned it's Thanksgiving in America this Thursday. If you are American, I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. We'll be back next week to talk about all games from week 12 of the NFL season. Until then, I've been Alex Woodward, and don't just have a good week like the best play in NFL history. Have an immaculate one. Goodbye.